Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. First up this week, we're talking about how the Vatican police raided five of the Vatican's top offices as part of a financial investigation. Next, we'll talk about Pope Benedict and Pope Francis's strong message to the new cardinals about loyalty to the Pope. Finally, we'll unpack what's been going on at the Amazon Synod and explain what's at stake for women in this Synod. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. How are things in Rome? Good afternoon from very sunny, very beautiful October Rome day. We've got a really interesting period ahead of us for the next three weeks. Yeah, Jerry, I know you've published like almost 10 stories since we last recorded, so there's a whole lot to talk about this week. Let's get started with the first thing. This came out right after our last recording last Tuesday. Um, A bombshell story broke in the Vatican when it was made public that the Vatican police had raided two of the Vatican's top offices as part of an investigation into Vatican finance. Um, There's a lot of background to give on this, but the key parts are that for the last few years, there have been ongoing investigations into financial misconduct in the Vatican. Money laundering and embezzlement ran rampant there for decades. Last week's raids were on four offices in the Secretariat of State and in the office of Tommaso de Ruzza, who was the number two in the Vatican's financial control office, and he had been brought in to break up all the money laundering. Um, all five people whose offices were raided have been suspended, and Pope Francis has now appointed a famous anti-mafia prosecutor to head up the Vatican's criminal tribunal that's going to be dealing with this case. So, Jerry, this story seemed to take a lot of people by surprise when it came out, especially because of how the story came out. Can you tell me a little about that? Well, I think the first thing to note here is the it was the Vatican who broke the story. It wasn't any of the Italian media or other investigating media. Uh, and this signals one thing very clearly, that Pope Francis is determined that there is transparency about what's happening with Vatican finances. And we see this. Secondly, the denunciation of mismanagement or mishandling or whatever you want to call it of Vatican finances came from within the system. It came from the uh, Auditor General and it seems from another a high official in the Vatican Bank. And they signaled this both to the prosecutor and to the Pope. And the Pope gave instructions, according the Italian media saying this, the Pope gave instructions to investigate immediately. We're talking about the beginning of summer, so about three, four months back. And he said he wanted it investigated and he wanted them to get to the bottom of what was happening. I'm wondering, you know, why was the way this was leaked important? It seemed like, you know, some people were not super happy with it. So why is this kind of controversial? I think what there is a lot of uh, questions about is why the names and the photos of the people who are being investigated were made public and who gave them to the Italian media. I, I think they will want to get very clearly who gave this information, who leaked it and why. Yeah, I think the question of motives is going to be really important here. Um, So let's talk about this uh, position of Auditor General. Well, the the Auditor General, is his task is to really monitor what is happening in Vatican finances and to signal if there is something that he considers not correct or suspicious. It is his task. That's why he's there. 
to signal this and to inform the Pope and to inform the judicial authorities if he believes there's a, a reason for a judicial action. So the system is working. And I've seen some media reports which are saying, oh, it's proving the, the, the Francis has failed in, 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 in controlling the Vatican finances. Absolutely not. It shows the system is working. It shows that the uh, controls are in place and you've got people who are taking their job very seriously. Jerry, can you tell me kind of how this system has changed over the years? Well, I'd, I'd have to give you, I'd have to write a book to, to tell you this. <laughs> Got it. Basically, in the past, if something untoward had happened in the Vatican, and certainly in the Vatican Secretariat of State, we would not have known. Nobody would have known. Wow. There was a system of cover-up. Francis has become very insistent that there has to be transparency about how the Vatican finances are being used. And if there is mismanagement or wrong dealing, that this has to come out publicly too. The reason is that you, do, you cannot gain the credibility, the trust of people across the world who give their money to Peter Spence or to other initiatives of the Vatican if they are not sure that this money is going to be honestly used. Francis is very clear on this, and his decision to get them to go ahead, open the investigation, go right to the end of it, however high up it goes. We still do not know whether these five people acted on their own initiative or whether there was instructions from higher up. So obviously this is a really big and really complicated story. It's uh, the first time that we know about that there's been an intervention like this into the Secretariat of State. So there's a lot to look into, and we're going to keep you updated as it develops. But in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about this story, I will link to Jerry's coverage of it in the show notes. Last weekend, on the eve of the Amazon Synod, the Pope created 13 new cardinals. And we talked about who those men are in our September 4th episode, Pope Francis Chooses 13 New Cardinals in the Francis Mold. So you can go back and listen to that if you're curious about who these men are. As of Saturday, those men are all now cardinals, and the Pope had some strong words for them and the existing cardinals that seem to address some of the division that we've seen recently in the church. Jerry, I was wondering, you know, can you tell us some of what the Pope said at the consistory? He said, there are two qualities that a cardinal should have. One is compassion. The second is loyalty. If you don't have compassion, you're not going to be loyal in your ministry. And I think this was a very strong message because we have seen cardinals, when they're made cardinals, before they get the red hat, they have to make an oath uh, professing the faith, but also an oath of obedience to the successor of Peter, the Pope. We've seen that some cardinals are not loyal to the Pope. It's happened in every papacy. It's happened under Pius XII, John XXIII, Paul VI, John Paul II, and Benedict. Mm -hmm. But they are more visible and vocal today because of the social media, the blog sites, and because they're close to certain news outlets. Yeah. Did you see these comments as him kind of directly addressing that sort of division? Everybody saw them like that. Wow. 
Yeah, afterwards, I mean, they even kind of hit this message home farther. They brought the new cardinals and the pope, and they visited Pope Benedict, who also stressed to the new cardinals the importance of fidelity to the pope. I think this was very significant because, as you saw from the photos, Benedict is very frail. Francis, from the beginning of his pontificate, every time he's made new cardinals, he's always taken them to meet Pope Benedict. This time, the cardinals found Pope Benedict very fragile, but the message was very clear and surprising. As you said, he emphasized the need of loyalty to the pope. It came out very strongly. I felt myself, and other people said as well, when the Pope delivered his homily, some people must have been squirming in their seats. And I think uh, with Benedict's message, this just solidifies the importance of fidelity. So the morning after the consistory, the Pope was back in St. Peter's Basilica with everyone who's going to be participating in the Amazon Synod. Uh, they had an opening Mass on Sunday, and then on Monday, they started the Synod with a type of gathering that no one I've talked to can remember ever seeing before. Uh, the Pope and the Synod participants stood informally around the tomb of St. Peter in St. Peter's Basilica, and they sang a prayer to the Holy Spirit before walking into the Synod Hall. Jerry, were you there in St. Peter's? What was the scene like? I was inside. I, I think we, we couldn't have been more than 400 people. That's kind of a small crowd for St. Peter's. It's a, you, if you think St. Peter's can take seven to 8,000 people. Right. So it's a small crowd. And they were right in front of the tomb of St. Peter. So what they call the altar of the of St. Peter, where St. Peter is buried. In, that's what we believe. They sang before the Pope came the indigenous people holding the hands of bishops, and they sang, you know, the, the song I'll translate it, the children of the of the selva, of the of the forest. And they sang other hymns. What is that hymn? I've never heard of that. Well it's it's quite a well known Latin American one. But it's 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 I've just translated it from Latin Spanish. Mm -hmm. But then the Pope came and then there was a very small choir about six or seven uh, singers, they intoned the Veni Creator, the hymn to the Holy Spirit, invoking the Holy Spirit to be present and to enlighten the participants. They sing it before they go into conclave. They sing it before the ordination of bishops and priests. Right. And then they set out in procession, first the cross with candles, and then the bishops, the members of the indigenous people, representatives, the auditors, the sisters, the women who are participating, they all went in procession from St. Peter's Basilica into the Synod Hall. And just before they got into the Synod Hall, the indigenous people gave the Pope the gifts which were on the floor in front of him in the Basilica, a canoe, a fishing net, the relics of the martyrs of the Amazon. And in the procession, they also carried placards with the pictures or images of the martyrs of the Amazon and others as well, including our, uh, Saint Oscar Romero. Wow. Jerry, what were the emotions like in the room during, during this gathering at, at the tomb of St. Peter? Uh, there was joy, but there was also a sense of history being made because this is a special synod. 
there was real emotion. There was a real sense that something was new was happening in the church. And uh, I think uh, it was very beautiful when we went into the Synod Hall and they sat down and then the Pope spoke. He started in Italian and then he suddenly broke off and said, no, no, I'll speak in Spanish. Everybody applauded. Most of them speak Spanish. So, Jerry, let's talk about uh, when the Pope addressed this crowd in the Synod Hall, but also at his homily at Mass on Sunday. You know, the Synod, as we've talked about many times, is a place for a lot of discussion, and the Pope prefers for this to be sort of uh, open, freeform. Um, but in his talks, he's kind of also delivering a message about how he wants the Synod uh, participants to approach this. So, can you tell us a little about what message the Pope sent in his homily Sunday and his address on Monday? Yes, the homily on Sunday was really a key. He, he said, uh, we've come to light the fire of the gospel in the Amazon. The fire of the gospel means to be prophetic, means to announce Jesus, it means to fight injustice, it means to be courageous, to be prudent but daring, as he said, but it also means to be willing to give your life martyrdom. He, he said, we're lighting a fire that doesn't destroy, unlike those who are lighting fires that destroys the forest and damages the people. It's a very powerful contrast between the fire of the gospel and the fire of economic interests and the fire of those who want to profit, even to the point of removing, destroying the lives of the people there. That's really bold. What about the Pope's talk at the Synod Hall? The Synod Hall, it was quite different. And he said uh, it was more focused, giving them some, let's say, guidelines for how they would conduct the next three weeks. He said, first of all, there are different ways of approaching the Synod, but our way is to come in as disciples of Jesus. So our approach is pastoral. Our approach is to come close to the people, first of all, to listen to them, not to come in with prefabricated solutions or pragmatic uh, ways of dealing with issues. No, we want to listen to them. We want to respect their cultures. We want to understand how they feel about the issues. And then once we have done that, then we try to see how we can contribute. Yeah, that's something that we've been hearing a lot of, especially as you know we've seen some pushback against the working document. Everyone who's been a spokesperson for the Synod, at least, has been saying, you know, this is all based on listening, and that's really what they're trying to do with this whole process. He insisted very much on respect for the people's culture, the people's identity, the people's way of being, and for their spirituality. Right, and he sees this kind of standing with people as a sort of evangelization. Yes, and this is the gospel of justice. You stand with those who are persecuted. You stand with those who are suffering injustice. You stand with the poor. He also gave this example. He said on Sunday at the Mass, some of the indigenous people, barefoot, brought gifts to the Pope. One of them had a feathered headdress. He said, afterwards, I heard somebody making a snide or sarcastic comment about this. The Pope addressed this? Yes. Wow. He said this, tell me, what's the difference between them wearing a feathered dress and these people in the Curia, in the Roman Curia, who have this three-cornered hat, the berettas? Mm -hmm. 
And he, he said, we go into this synod respecting the people, respecting their culture, respecting their spirituality, respecting their history, and listening to them. It was the very strong message. Terry, that seems like a great place for us to wrap up that story. Um, and this is just the beginning of the Synod, so we look forward to covering it more on Inside the Vatican, and we'll have a lot more stories, many of which we can't fit into this podcast, um, at americanmagazine.org. So I will link to those, of course, as always, in the show notes. For our next story, every time there's a big gathering at the Vatican, there are also protesters who come, and the Amazon Synod has been no exception to that. Uh, last week, just before the Synod opened, a group of women, including a busload of nuns from a monastery in Switzerland, gathered outside the Vatican Synod office to call for women to be able to vote in this Synod. We've brought this up briefly on the show before, but I thought it was worth taking a few minutes to explain why this is the case, because uh, it's an issue that's come up a lot in my conversation with younger Catholics especially. Um, so let's get into this. By definition, a synod of bishops is for bishops and clerics to vote and participate in. But ever since Vatican II, lay people have been invited as auditors or experts. They can give input, but they're not voting members. And that includes religious brothers and sisters, who, since they're not ordained, count as lay people who can't vote. But at the Synod on the Family in 2015, one lay brother was allowed to vote, Brother Hervé Jansen. And so the folks who are in favor of women being able to vote would say, well, you let a layman vote once, so why not a lay woman? Uh, and now for the last couple of synods, the Pope has continued to allow lay brothers to vote in the last two synods. Jerry, why is that? In these synods, we've always had lay people. Mm -hmm. This time you have 35 women participating. I think 20 of them are uh, r women religious. Why can't they vote? The synod rules as they stand and as they have been codified envisages that only the bishop can vote in the key moment for the final document because it is a synod of bishops. It's not a synod of the people of God. It's not a pastoral synod. Uh, in these recent times, Francis has allowed exceptions but they have been seen as exceptions, so not as praxis. And so it's not an exception that carries over to the next synod. It's an exception for this synod. Right, but it is an exception that we've seen the Pope make a few times in a row. Yeah, but we're talking, you can count in one hand all the exceptions in all the synods. Now, Francis is very conscious that women are, want a voice in it. He has now appointed a new secretary general from the Senate, and this was announced last week, much to the surprise of everybody, because we knew there was one coming, but we didn't expect him to be nominated before this Senate. And who's this? He's actually present at the Senate. He's Bishop Mario Greg from uh, Malta. And I suspect when the new secretary comes into office, there will be many changes in the Senate. I mean, are you hinting that that women could vote in the next synod? Is this a step that we might be moving towards? Well, I would not be totally surprised. All right. So as Cardinal Hummus, one of the leaders of the synod, said, you know, there are even bigger things that could come out of this synod for women as they discuss trying to give some of the women's ministry roles uh, authority in the church. Terry, 
you know, we know some of what the women in the Amazon are doing right now, but what are some possibilities for official ministry that they're talking about at the Synod? Yesterday at the briefing in the Vatican, there was a sister who said, I baptize children. There's no priest around. I am present when couples get married to preside at the wedding. And even there are times when I hear confessions even of people who are dying, even though I cannot give them absolution. The bishops are well aware of this. The bishops are keen to see how they can make this official to give some authority to what they're actually doing. And in some cases, it could also involve preaching. The reality is that women are doing many things, as I said before, baptizing children, presiding at at weddings, uh, even in certain situations, hearing confessions without being able to give absolution. The bishops are keen to see how they can make this official to give some authority to what they're actually doing. And in some cases, it could also involve preaching, but it could also involve some form of diaconate. And what would that look like? Uh, It's too early to say. So I think it's some roles of service which would be institutionalized, recognized as roles within the structure of the church. So they're not just happen to be doing it. They're doing it with the authority of the bishops, with the authority of the church, with the authority of the Pope, if he approves this. So it it could signal, you know, what we're seeing here is we're seeing a renewal of the church coming from, not from Europe, as was the case in the Second Vatican Council, but coming from Latin America. I think it's very important to underline this. Right, that really tracks with where the population of Catholics is in the world these days. That's what, yes, it's almost half the Catholic population in the world, but it's a long four, five hundred years history. And so what we are seeing is the riches that have emerged in that church now coming to the, bring their treasures to the center of the church. The Pope, who has come from the ends of the world, the bishops who are coming from distant places who are not being listened to before, now having full voice in a synod in the church. Yeah, these are really exciting developments that we're talking about. Um, and we're looking forward to hearing you know, how this develops and what ultimately comes out of this synod. So, Jerry, thank you for finding a quick moment to talk to us this week and to update us on what's going on. And we will chat with you next week. Well, look forward to that and look forward to bringing our listeners some more interesting news from here. If you've been enjoying Inside the Vatican, maybe you've learned something new from the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Loshert studio in New York City. Our executive producer this week is Sebastian Gomes. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next week.